listening to From the Front Lines with Jill and Edgar. Uh, we are a, a weekly community program featuring stories, social justice, climate justice, and economic justice. Welcome to our first episode. Hey, Jill. You know, you want to introduce yourself, Edgar, like a little bit about yourself since it's our first episode? Okay. Um, well, I'm Edgar, currently the political director for an independent farm worker union based in Skagit County. It's called Familias Unidas por la Justicia. Um, it's We're almost coming up to our 10th anniversary now, actually, of the founding of the union, um, which started in July 2013. Um, so I've been in this position, you know, formally since 2019. Um, and a little bit of my family history, how we ended up in Washington. Um, we first, you know, I was born in Texas. My family's Mexican. And uh, we would uh, follow the harvests from southern Texas, from the valley to eastern Washington to cut asparagus and do all the crops over there. And uh, eventually end up in Skagit Valley and do the work here and then head back to Texas and you know, live half of our part of our lives over there and then just continue migrating back and forth um, until my mom found steady work here in Washington in Mount Vernon. And this is where I where I grew up and kind of got involved with farm worker organizing at a fairly you know young age. What I you know, I guess you would call it more activism, you know, developing a conscious and, you know, taking part in actions and marches and eventually, you know, um, ending up at community community development, um, where uh, you know a year into uh, being in in community community, the workers went out on strike at Sakuma Farms, and kind of that's how I was brought into like help with the boycott and the organizing of the union. Yeah, and that's kind of been a little bit about the trajectory and along the ways learning about the food system, climate, environmental justice you know, picking up a lot of things and seeing how they intersect. And now we're here. Thanks for sharing your story. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, so I'm Jill. I'm on Kaliman. I, I grew up in Seattle. My, my family, um, comes from the Philippines. My parents, um, actually grew up, um, in like Ilocos Norte, uh, which is way up, up North. Um, and decided that, you know, they couldn't stay, uh, unfortunately, because, you know, things were getting really, um, really terrible during the Marcos uh, dictatorship in the 70s. So um, my dad came to the Seattle area first. Um, he had heard about Seattle from my my Lolo, who was a migrant worker. He came out here to work um, in the canneries and then, you know, sometimes in the fields in California, but always coming through Seattle. Um had fond memories of Seattle just because of the, the, all the greenery and all the, all the water and the, um, just like the, the moderate climate <laughs> where in the Philippines is pretty hot. So, um, when my dad, um, came here, he was, you know, he, he came here cause he, he heard from his, his dad. And so, um, sent for my mom and my sister, um, so that they can, um, you know, try, try for a better life here. Um, uh, since the Philippines was, you know, racked with, you know, uh, state repression and, um, and as well as like high unemployment and, but also, yeah, struggled when they got out here with, um, you know, um, economic, finding work as well as like racism, they, 
they faced a lot of hardship here. And uh, I was lucky to grow up, um, you know, with them and, you know, big household, uh, um, started working pretty young myself uh, uh, when my parents got sick. I was 13, got my first job. Uh, I worked a lot of odd jobs until I, now, I, I, I did get to go to school, but I, honestly, I, did, I I feel like I learned more things out in the community than in school, <laughs> to be real. Like, I look back at my school days, you know, going to the university, and I it's all kind of a blur. I just remember um, working and running around and being tired. <laughs> um, but after schooling, um, yeah, I found community. I, I started to... Um, you know, uh, really get open my eyes to things. Um, was tired of just working all the time and, you know, joined, uh, organization. Um, actually my first, like, I would say like organizing thing or activism thing was around like healthcare. Um, I was, uh, canvassing. I decided to, like, I, I didn't, I, I wanted to quit my jobs and <laughs> canvas for universal healthcare. Um, something I, I got really passionate about um, and later immigration reform, um, immigration rights. Um, and then I found, um, I found, uh, I got uh, recruited into Gabriella Seattle um, and, you know, folks were like, you're, you're, you, you should join us, you know, you're Filipino. And, you know, I wanted to learn more about the Philippines and my history and yeah. Um, and then also got, connected with got green around the same time in, in 2000, um, 2008, nine. Um, and it was, yeah, I was at got green for a while. Um, was an environmental justice organization in Seattle. Um, yeah, a lot, lots of, you know, happy memories, um, organizing and learning about environmental justice there, um, you know, like making the connections around displacement and, um, food justice and, um, and also how we had to, uh, transition away from this very, um, you know, fossil fuel exploited system. Um, and yeah, now I'm, I'm no longer with Got Green, but still hold a, a, a warm place in my heart for them. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm organizing full time with like Buy-in USA and um, just really um, focused on how can we, you know, um, organize more and more Filipinos for, a national democratic movement. Um, right now we're in the midst of an elections period. Um, and yeah, trying to get rid of the, <laughs> get rid of the current regime, um, Duterte. So, um, but happy to, you know, be connected internationally, but also locally. Um, I think the work on the ground is really what's kept me going through all this time. Um, yeah. And be connected to folks outside of Seattle, uh, um, and in front and centered and, and with, um, community, community and families in need us. I definitely, yeah, see our, our movements all, all connected and, and, and supporting each other. So that's, that's me. And then actually, I live here in um, Burien, uh, near the airport. <laughs> I was making a note cause, um, that's all I see outside my window, <laughs> air, airplanes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do uh, do this radio show because um yeah I really enjoy uh, hearing stories and telling stories so I think that's really what connects people too um, not just to the issues but to each other so yeah. yeah and hopefully along the the making of this show 
we can bring in some guests and some some folks to kind of also bring us stories from their front lines or their struggles. Yeah, and wanted to kick off our first episode with uh, with uh, a recap of the Marcha Campesina uh, uh, from May Day. You know, I think looking back, looking at it is like a, a process, I think, that um, um, La Marcha Campesina aligned with May Day and all the other actions that were happening. Um, I think, you know, we wanted to make sure that this Marcha had a lot of the same elements that, you know, we were always would talk about in 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 Glasgow when we had the that conversation. You know, we talk about the role of colonization, imperialism, of climate and and workers. So I think, you know, I think this is kind of like another component of that process, like this march to highlight a lot of those issues that were back then and to really try to find the connections between all of them and really doing it in a, in a way where it's visual, very visual, you know, with the flags, the signs, the songs, um, the people participating. Um, I think that was one of the things of, you know, looking back at now, like the Marcha Campesina and Mayday, looking back at it, those are some of the things that kind of came to mind now that we had a couple of days to process it. For sure. Back, let's um, actually we have a couple of the uh, spe- speeches from the Marcha, um, like a Lelo, uh, leader of Families Unidas por la Justicia. Like we can listen to his speech um, or even hear from yeah some of the sights and sounds of the March. It's been it's been I don't know. I'm still feeling like pretty good from it, although I'm <laughs> I'm really tired. It's been a while since you know, um, I marched, um, but I was, I was really happy, um, looking forward to more of those uh, marches. in 
us with his might. Is there anything left to us but to organize and fight? For the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. It is we who plowed the prairies, built the cities where they My name is Alfredo Juarez Seferino, and I help organize uh, with Familias Unidas por la Justicia and Community Community. Mi nombre es Alfredo Juarez. Este ayudo a organizar con Familias Unidas por la Justicia y también comunidad a comunidad. Well, I just want to give a thanks to everybody that, come, that came out and support. It really means a lot. Like I said, it's hard to stand up. But seeing the community member coming out and supporting it. And here we have a lot of people that came far away from, a lot of them came from other states also. So it means a lot. And yeah, really helps out a lot too. That the uh, people nearby here and the companies here see that there are workers here and there are supporters here. And we, we just want a fair wages and good working condition for everybody. That's all we're fighting. Fighting for, yeah. Well, since I since I can remember, I've been working in agriculture, helping out my grandpa in Mexico, just helping him out with his crops, and he taught me how to work on these lands. So, yeah, that's what. Yeah, we're in Guerrero. Yeah, yeah. At a really young age, we were taught how to farm, how to grow crops. Yeah. So if if it was a lot easier for people to get a piece of land and a lot of them will grow their own food and be their own boss you know yeah, yeah and hopefully that's something some changes that could come in the future where it makes it easier for people to get a piece of land and grow their own food international workers day so let's go I think, uh, you know, again, going back to the march and what you were just talking about, I think, um, you know, we, we, the history of farm workers is really tied into the Filipino struggle here in the United States. And again, farm worker, the modern farm worker movement probably wouldn't have been born without the AWOC, the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee with the Filipino workers um, in California that were kind of on a, leading a lot of the wildcat strikes that eventually turned into, you know, Mexicans joining uh, the Filipino workers and, you know, the boycotts with the United Farm Workers and all that. So I think the history of farm workers and immigrants and Filipinos and Mexicans working in solidarity, um, you know, we need to remember that. Um, even to this current day, I think there was a big presence of folks from Bayan, Migrante, uh, Gabriela um, talking about their situation um, and where they're organizing at this current moment, which, you know, you just mentioned Marcos and his son is running for for president and for this this year in a couple of weeks. If we're, right. And I think people here, maybe in Skagit Valley, um, didn't know 
didn't know that. And I think that was important to bring in that perspective as well as why we're march when we march farm worker rights, we're also marching in solidarity to, you know, bring democracy for for everybody. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 wild to me that it was, gosh, over 40 years ago that um, Marco, Fernand Marcos was, you know, some people still remember, like when I talked to some of our elders in the community, some folks, they remember that um, and that his son, you know, is, is trying to run for president as if, you know, um, all of the terrible things that his um, father did never happened. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think I appreciate the solidarity. Um, yeah. From, 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 from you all. And also it's, it's been, it's been really helpful from, for our Kasamas back home to hear, you know, um, yeah, people um, really highlighting that this isn't right and that we can't continue to let, um, dictators take over uh, and infringe on anyone's rights anywhere. So it, it's good to see, um, yeah, how we can connect those, those, uh, these struggles. Um, and, you know, like uh, I was thinking about that too. Um, you know how I always end uh, meetings and, and actions with the Isang Baksak, right? Like that yep. means one down, um, one step closer um, to victory. Um, I, I also think about the the solidarity clap that um, sprung out of like the the farm worker um, uh, organizing. Um, it, it signifies the unity between the the Filipino and Mexican farm workers did that back then. I if people know about it, the the solidarity clap is like the it's the slow clap and then it builds momentum and then it gets <laughs> it gets louder and louder and then and then sometimes people end it with a sung baksak. But um, yeah, those are parts of our history. Those are um, people who are or organizing and fighting hard for um, so that we can have a better, better life today. Um, I want to continue to honor the um, the unity that was built and all the hardship that people face. Um, but yeah, and now it, a lot of the people who attended the march were saying that they were, um, yeah, that uh, they were so energized. So hoping that more and more we can do more activities like that that um, keep keep people energized or fill up their cups so that they can be ready to face face those struggles ahead before you were saying something like we should talk about the news i guess we, we, i did kind of talk about the news with the elections but like any any newsworthy things we want to share like oh i mean i think uh just the whole thing with the supreme court Maybe that's a whole oh, like, yeah. trying to overturn Roe versus Wade. And that's right. That's I mean, that's a big, big issue, I think, right now. I mean, it's I mean it you don't even hear about Ukraine anymore. You hear about the um, the the Supreme Court. And mm -hmm. I think that now with the leak that came out um published by Politico, I think they were the first to report it. Um, the opinion that was leaked out was Samuel Alito, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, and he was basically saying that it's up to the states to to um, decide whether or not abortion should be provided. Not uh, it should not be a like a a right, a constitutional right granted to everybody. That states should um, should have that decision making power. Mm -hmm. So right now there's a lot of actions and uh, things uh, happening across the country to defend 
Roe versus Wade, even though the opinion hasn't come out. It was a draft, a leak of the draft, uh, and which they were supposed to rule on like in a, a couple of weeks, actually. But it got leaked out and now they're they kind of cut it off at the head. And now people are mobilizing. Yeah, I noticed a lot of the like um, just it was when we were coming out of the march. I, that's when I started to see a lot of the uh, social media blow up about it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Um, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty big deal because. Uh, People, you know, um, women's rights folks fought really hard for that. People have also, yeah, had their lives endangered, you know. Um, it's just, it's just wild that they tried to, um, that there, there are these like behind the, behind the seat, backdoor kind of deals trying to, you know, uh, repeal it. Um, yeah, it goes to show the power of media, you know. <laughs> The need to, for information to get out there. Um, yeah, I think I mean one of the more surprising things that kind of I've been kind of trying to find out more was about how people are disappointed. I mean, obviously, people are disappointed and angry at the Republicans because this has been a a big mission that uh, the right has been going after, like taking away, um, you know, attacking women's bodies and healthcare and all these things, but then. The Democrats, people are disappointed in the Democrats because they never codified mm -hmm. this into law, which would have prevented anything like this to happen. Um, so I'm just trying to, like, you know, figure out what that may, means, because I thought once the Supreme Court ruling came out that, you know, it's it becomes a law or I don't know. I, you know, so um, maybe this is why we, we probably need like a political scientist to kind of explain the ins and out in and ins and outs of this. But yeah in a way that we could understand. So, yeah, I mean, we can, maybe we can next time bring on someone <laughs> who can explain it. Yeah. Or we could just refer people to um, like, yeah, let's link um, folks to the political um, article. I think it'd be good. You know, but I think that also, I think that is what journalism is supposed to be, right? Like exposing mm -hmm. kind of the systems of power and how it, works behind the scenes. That's uh, right. So I think this is also like a big, you know, media moment. Like this is what journalism and real, real journalism looks like when you actually are attacking and questioning like a lot of the institutions that have been pop propped up. You know, it's not just a given that they're doing the right thing, that they also need to be challenged and held accountable, which almost like nobody wants to talk about the Supreme Court. Mm -mm. Um, but they also need to be held accountable. That's right. So bravo, yeah. bravo for journalists, which, you know, I, the Nobel Peace Prize went to a Filipina, right? That was um, talking about the truth about the Duterte um, presidency, um, you know, mm -hmm. and I know in, it's one of the most dangerous jobs if, around the world to be a, a journalist, an investigative journalist. I know in Mexico, mm -hmm. there's been a big crisis of journalism of journalists being murdered or disappeared because of their um, their investigations into the narcos and and how it's tied into politics and into everything. So I think that's, you know, journalism, you know, needs to also be defended, like real journalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, thanks for bringing up Maria Ressa. She's, um, well, she, she's the CEO of, a rappler, uh, which is an independent news 
um, service in the Philippines. And yeah, they've been, they were one of the first people to report on the Duterte drug war, the so-called drug war, where they were just killing people um, in the streets, no due process, like, you know, just straight up killing people just who are suspected of like being drug users, you know, and not even bring, not, not even have giving them a chance in court or, you know, any evidence or anything like that. Um, and yeah, she was arrested a number of times um, for libel and also trumped up charges or even had death threats, but um, continued, you know, the, to do the work and her, and, you know, her um, news, the Rappler is still putting out like news on the daily. Um, yeah, I, I think about that too, like around like how to get the truth out there. There's so many um, news um, uh, programs that, especially here in the U.S. that are owned by, you know, big corporations or very wealthy, you know, people like um, Jeff Bezos. I heard that, um, you know, uh, bought uh, Washington Post and, you know, just causes concern around like, you know, can can media stay free or can it be not influenced by these special interests um, so that they continue to tell the truth and tell the stories from the ground uh, yeah, so, without threats. Um, that's why this project is important, too. <laughs> that's right. You know, right. Uh, I think, uh, again, uh, even like Elon Musk buying Twitter, um, you know, and, he, you know, for what he says, like for a place for real free speech. Um, but, you know, he's going to also have a big influence on what gets allowed and not allowed on Twitter. I'm pretty sure he's going to be cracking down on any union organizing or any, you know, he doesn't believe in worker rights. Obviously, he's been cracking down on Tesla organizing, uh, or Tesla workers organizing. So, you know, he has his own vision of what, like, free speech is, you know, as long as it doesn't offend him, but, you know, um, it's becoming a, I think this is why the value of like frontline communities speaking directly and honestly about what's happening and the conditions on the ground, not with a filter or anything like that. I think that's, that's the value of, you know, these kinds of, of productions and, and projects that, you know, that uplift those voices and challenge and challenge a lot of, narratives that are out there yeah that's right that's why we got from, from the front lines well thank you uh you know for tuning in to episode one from the front lines um my name is edgar hopefully you can join us again uh, for our next episode um which should be airing in a week follow us online follow front and center thank you front and center for helping us put this out um Follow them, frontandcenter.org. Uh, follow on social media at Familias Unidas, Por La Justicia, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. <laughs> follow us and follow, like, and share. Hit that, smash that like button, as they say on YouTube. We'd like to thank Rainier Valley Radio, um, as well as Front and Centered. Special thanks to Liz from Community Community and Charlie and Aurora from Front and Centered. Thanks for helping us put together this show. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you. Yeah.